All right, Sunday night edition of the pod. We're going to continue our, I guess we could call it season wrap up series, but it's uh, it's cooler than that, uh, certainly. But uh, we got the best guy to talk about the Atlanta Hawks, a fascinating team this season. And I also think going forward, we're going to hit on all of those aspects of the Hawks. Uh, Brad Rowland, how you doing, man? I'm hanging in there. As you said, it's been sort of a fascinating season, uh, both for good and for ill for this Hawks team. So a lot to dig into and I appreciate you having me, man. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, always good to get into it with you uh, on the Hawks. So where I wanted to start at, with this team, as we look back on it, they were, let me get it in front of me here, 20 and 47 uh, at the beginning of the hiatus. What would your grade be for this Atlanta Hawks season compared to your expectation I, w- I will say for a bad team this is actually harder than I thought it was going to be to grade it and I hadn't thought about this um I'll land somewhere around C minus range because on one hand the stuff that actually matters for the future like the young guys and especially Trey Young that was not a bad necessarily uh, outcome overall but on the other hand the team solidly underperformed their Vegas over under and some of the baselines that you would look at and the roster building was kind of strange so I think it has to be a below average mark but I also am sort of conflicted because I guess the most important thing on the roster is Trey Young making a leap so that kind of brings it up a little bit I'll still land slightly negative though around a C minus range yeah I, I think that that makes sense right because you're really I mean Trey really came on John Collins got suspended for 25 games that's uh that's probably gonna hurt your grade <laughs> a little bit <laughs> Uh, but I thought that he played about as well as you could have hoped once he actually was available again. Uh, Cam Reddish had a terrible start to the year, but I don't think anyone was expecting him to be great, and he showed some signs. So we'll talk about that. Um, DeAndre Hunter may be a, a little disappointing, especially considering that uh, they traded up to get him, and he, he was really supposed to be a big part of this team's future. I don't know if he showed that. And then, obviously, though, when you say compared to expectations, my expectations were that they're going to have big time problems at backup center and backup point guard and with these rookie wings and that all happened so they really I guess what I would say is I would give Trey Young an A and like the rest of the team a D minus but Trey Young is the most important thing about the future so yeah I think C minus makes sense to me I think that's about right. I mean, there are some positives and Trey is by far the the biggest positive, but, and, you know, I also agree that, you know, the expectations, I would say it kind of depends on what you thought of the team coming into the year. I think some of the outside factors were a little bit higher, but even, even the team's internal expectations were more modest than like the Vegas over under was. Uh, Travis Slank's been on the record multiple times saying that he, um, he and the analytics team had about a 30 win projection. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, I knew just how damaging it was going to be to not have a backup point guard we were well aware coming in our expectations were much lower i'm with you 100 on this we were aligned on this preseason too we, we both talked about how weird the supporting cast was and that's gonna come up again i'm sure on this podcast but uh yeah it's sort of a mixed bag all the way around <laughs> so let's talk about uh, trey young and would you say that he i mean when we talked before the season we had talked about him potentially leading the nba in assists which shockingly enough given how good he was did not happen uh i mean i shouldn't shocked but uh it was uh that we were high, high at him and, and in that way we thought he 
he'd be good but he, he didn't that was the one thing that didn't turn out but what was it about his performance this year that enabled him to go to the next level and be an all-star starter we were so far off with trey that he finished second in assists so that was really <laughs> unfortunate because uh, LeBron, lebron actually had the highest grade of his career which is kind of surprising yeah. but um but yeah going back to trey I, I think the biggest jump that he made and it was a jump overall to be sure the passing was kind of already there but just being able to maintain what was essentially elite efficiency he fell off a little bit down the stretch but even still essentially averaged 30 points and nine assists with about 59 60 percent true shooting and that is just kind of speaks for itself i know there i know there are issues with him defensively and the team was so heavily based around him but there are not a lot of guys who could carry the usage rate and the load that he carried and still maintain that level of efficiency in addition to being an elite level passer. So I think offensively, he basically made the biggest jump that you could have possibly foreseen. And I think even internally, I have a hard time believing that they saw this coming in year two, because if they did, they probably would have built a little bit more feverishly to win now. So, you know, just the fact that he was able to shoot the ball more consistently and better, get to the line so often and kind of be that um, that BS foul drawer, drawer that I know you talked about a lot on the podcast, but he's just sort of this offensive engine that I think he was billed to be when they drafted him eventually. But in year two, being this good on that end of the floor is something they just couldn't have seen coming. Yeah, I mean to have thirty five percent usage, which is a massive number. It's you know a Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant esque number. And yeah, we we are in this situation now where stars are able to ramp up their usage perhaps more than ever before with the amount of spacing that we have. But to have that kind of usage and then also forty five percent free throw rate for a guy who's not exactly like a power driver getting to the line and finishing over people i mean that's uh that's very impressive it does make you wonder if they ever got into a playoff setting of you know and teams are really locked in on not following him kind of james harden like like would his efficiency go down but that's uh that's not a a concern as of right now for this hawks team and the only thing that really sticks out that he needs to improve is the turnovers and perhaps if they get a little bit more around him where he doesn't have to create everything he, he can get a little bit more efficient in, in that area so yeah he was fantastic um what would you say other than the fact that trey young uh is really you know moving into where uh, being close to an all nba level of player what would you say are the biggest things that this t- team learned this year i think that's the most important one but even beyond that and we sort of alluded to it earlier i think i would hope that they learn the importance of having nba quality players up and down the roster <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not even really. I mean, it's it's funny, but the fact that this was so foreseeable that they were going to be, and it's not just Trey's on-off numbers, but Trey's on-off numbers are so glaring because there was nothing behind him for most of the season. But even yeah, beyond that, I mean, that, I think for like uh, to sorry to interrupt, but like two three months into the season, they've got like a 92 offensive rating when he's off the floor or something like that. It got a little better when Teague got there, but it was uh, it was ugly for a it long really time. was, and, and it was so foreseeable. I mean, I think people that up and down the league whether you were in Atlanta or not paying attention closely to the roster it was just something that was uh proje- I would say projectable that would happen so I, I'm hoping that the front office figured that out as well and I think this is sort of the same thing but they also diagnosed pretty clearly during the season that center was going to be a problem for them and they were linked to Andre Drummond for however long that ended up happening and they ended up swinging the trade for Clint Capella um and you know in, in the in the meantime they sent out the only guy that actually was playing competent men- minutes for them at center and Alex Lynn 
but he was going to be a free agent too and wasn't necessarily a starting center moving forward. I think they probably knew that. So I, I think just the importance of depth, I, I think they probably also knew that giving so many minutes to the rookies early was going to not be a good thing on the court. I think they're probably sort of towing that line of the importance of the future and investing in these players versus actually winning now. And I think they did know deep down this was not going to be a great roster this season, but they also just made it so tough to evaluate certain players by just basically punting a couple of positions entirely back at point guard, especially and even the supporting veterans that they had elsewhere, you know, you, you had your Alan Krabs and your Vince Carters was actually, Vince, Vince was still playing at age 42, 43 and not playing very well, etc. They just kind of had so many holes that it makes it difficult to evaluate their own players. And it's also a pretty clear explanation as, as to why they struggled so much. Yeah. And definitely I was critical of that. And I think some people might be like, well, hey, you know, isn't your philosophy that it's just useless to chase the eighth seed? Like, uh, you know, why does this really matter? after all they weren't going to do anything if they're in the playoffs the eighth seed was artificially bad this year even for the eastern conference if it was the even remotely competent to get there even if they filled those holes uh, they're not getting there uh, it, so I, I understand that thought but it was just there was no reason not to do it you know they're signing jabari parker for six million dollars for no reason right like there's and just even get a semi-competent backup point or especially at center where you've got plenty of options available um i think that was a disappointment and just to like you're seeing that the way they were losing games started to wear on trey young it may have started to wear according to reports on the relationship between trey young and lloyd pierce and so it's not like especially with the new draft format like it's not like they're gonna get some awesome pick anyway this year uh and so you might as well have uh filled those holes i i think uh, ultimately especially because they made a bunch of other moves that were kind of like oh they are actually trying to get better but then others weren't really consistent with that and that seems like that's that very travis like to me right like he, it's really hard for me to figure out what he what his philosophy is like he'll make a lot of moves where he's just tanking uh and trying to build up the asset base but then he makes a move like throwing all the chips in for deandre hunter so i i it's really hard he's a very inconsistent gm when it, you, you look at evaluating his move I totally agree. And, you know, there are some of them that are very clear as to what you're doing. Like, for instance, last summer, they take on Alan Crabb and uh, get basically two first-round picks. They send Torian Prince to Brooklyn. That was a move that was clearly future-facing, and I thought it was a pretty good value decision. They didn't love what Prince was going to give them long-term. They didn't want to pay him, and they ended up with two first-round picks, and that's actually a good use of resources. But then you turn around, and by even even someone who likes DeAndre Hunter like I do, you you pretty clearly overpay in that trade, even, even in the moment. Um, um, for a guy who's going to be a role player for you. It's just a lot of pluses and minuses. The Jabari Parker thing baffled me as well. I wouldn't have to talk about that too much, but it was very clear very quickly that it didn't make a lot of sense, and they punted on it in only a few months' time. It's just, it, it is kind of these mixed signals that they put forth, and I do find myself kind of picturing how bad things would have been this year for the Hawks if Trey Young didn't make the leap that he made, because they were already pretty bad. Um, and considering that no one projected that if he had just been marginally better than year one you know still been a good still been a good useful you know future facing player for the team but not necessarily this breakout star it would be even more vexing in some ways because at least now they know and they can sort of bank on and claim having this number one offensive engine that they're very confident in because they've already seen this happen if they didn't have that it would be even more uh confusing to me so anything else that pops out to you that the team learned about itself this year i mean it's it's interesting i think they learned 
uh, some stuff about their young guys, but as we'll probably get into later, it was kind of a, I don't want to say stagnant, but it was about what you would expect, maybe a little bit below what you would expect for guys like Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter. I, I don't think it's panic time for either one of those guys, but not necessarily a huge jump for Herter from year one to year two. Hunter, as an older rookie, I think people thought he might be a little bit better than he was. And I saw this coming a mile away when he was, when, when the trade happened, but you, you compare what they traded for him and the fact that you have this top five sheen of being this high draft pick and people start to think that you're going to be better, better than you're probably going to be. That's not his fault, but I thought he was just okay. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great either. They just, you know, they learned about John Collins. That's something that I wanted to point out too. We'll talk about him, I'm sure. Um, once the, 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 once the, the, the suspension was over, and that's a, that's a big thing this season about what happened with the Hawks team and why they probably lost more games than they should have, is that Collins was quite good after he came back, but it's almost more of a created question because he is good, but now you start hearing that they're going to want a lot of money, him and, his, him and his agent team, and as they probably should, but they have to make a decision on him too. So learning things is not necessarily as clear. They, they probably made some notes and certainly take there were some takeaways, but other than Trey Young and just this roster building that you hope that they answered, they kind of have more questions than they had a year ago, which is kind of uh, vexing. Yeah, they are going to have a decision to make it on him and i mean i think my advice would be sniff around the trade market for him a, a little bit and because the fit with trey as a defensive player is a little bit limited but i, I think and so if they can get something that's really good for john collins maybe they could do that but i'm sure they want to see what it looks like with collins and capella playing together and maybe there's a thought that that could work uh and i mean that that's a huge part of it what was your opinion of the moves that they made at the deadline where they ship out a first rounder uh brooklyn's first rounder to get capella and then they also uh, traded jabari parker for Dwayne dedman basically taking on uh, about seven million dollars extra for next year to bring dedman back uh, to be a backup center the move for dedman was interesting on a number of levels they 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 send out parker who i think that was pretty clear by that point they did not want to have for next season and I think everyone's assuming he's going to pick up that player option. I won't, I won't do the voice that you often do on the pod, but I think that's probably going to be picked up. Uh, so they were not excited about that, I don't think. And as a result of that, um, you could probably call this a sunk cost fallacy to some degree, but they set that out. Uh, they bring Dwayne Dedman back. I think everyone knows that Dwayne Dedman is overpaid on his contract, but they also liked Dwayne quite a bit in Atlanta the previous two years. He was at his best with the Hawks and really, and they've said this, I'm not sure how much to weigh this, but they definitely valued this in trading for Deadman. They wanted someone who was this vocal veteran that they didn't really have. Aside from Vince Carter, who obviously is like the ultimate 42-year-old been through the wars guy, um, Deadman is this more brash, loud vocal leader, and they wanted that. You know, the value of that is certainly debatable, but if he can shoot again, and that's the big question with Deadman, is if he can refine the shooting stroke that he had previously, it's still a bad contract, but it's a guy who is useful and who has been, I would say, a starting starting caliber center in, in his time with Atlanta. And now his role is obviously smaller playing behind um, Capella and Collins. So that that move was mixed in that you're you're acquiring what I think is a negative value contract, but you're also sending one out in Jabari and you know throwing in Alex Len, who they probably weren't going to re-sign. Makes some sense. Um, as for the Capella thing, I think the Capella move value-wise is perfectly appropriate. You're trading a non-lottery pick for a guy who is a obviously an above-average starting center. I don't think he's a star, but I think he fits a lot of what they wanted in that position 
position. The question, of course, is how he fits with Collins, but Capella will help him defensively. He can be a nice pick and roll partner for Trey Young. Um, he's on an appropriate contract. It Honestly, it probably felt even better because I was sort of resigned to the Hawks maybe trading for Drummond or giving Drummond a boatload of money because they clearly had decided they were going to do something big at yeah. center. Uh, so this move may, may not have been my first choice, but considering all they had to give up was you know a modest first round pick and a pretty shaky draft to get a guy who is locked in and who, who we know is a good player. I thought it was a pretty uh, a pretty solid move, not an overwhelming one, but certainly one I couldn't complain about. Yeah, Capella makes about eighteen and a half million per year on average uh, over the next three years after this one. And the way I thought about it, I think there's a couple ways you can look at it. One would be, well, hey, I thought you guys were chilling out and just continuing to develop young guys and you weren't making win now moves. Are you just doing this because like Trey Young is good now and he's unhappy and you're uh, reacting in a panic to that or you're you're reacting to the fact that you didn't meet the owner's expectations this year? You can look at it that way. But the way I look at it is you need a good defensive center to pair next to Trey Young. Uh, you might be able to find that in the draft, but that player is not going to be ready for two or three years uh, anyway. Uh, and so Clint Capella is probably a better defensive center than anyone who reasonably would have been available in free agency with their $47 million in cap space this year over the next couple of years. And so if you are of the opinion, yes, we need a good defensive center, which you do probably next to Trey Young. I mean, you're not going to be one of these like versatile switching teams when you have Trey Young out there that that was really their only option and the the price wasn't too bad um and so that was uh i think it was a pretty good move we'll see it's not perfect especially as you mentioned with collins but that's kind of more Collins fault than Capella's fault. I think you know what you're getting in Capella is what it comes down to. And they, they clearly identified and probably overreacted to some degree, as you sort of alluded to there. Like they, they, I'm not sure if they just figured this out during the season, but it was clear at some point that they were like, Oh, Oh wow. We we don't have a center and that's killing us in a number of ways. And they kind of made the move to do that. And I think the Drummond rumors were real at the time when they hit, because they were just, they were just deciding they were going to do something at center and Capella will help them defensively. Uh, I'm with you that you can't really play that fully switchy scheme with Trey on the court. And Capella just addresses a lot of needs for them. And, you know, as much as we probably um, advocate, at least I do regularly, kind of taking your time as a rebuilding team, they've not been too shy. I mean, Lloyd Pierce came out before the hiatus and kind of said that the playoffs are the goal next year in a way that was probably more frank than I've heard anybody say that before. So they're, they're speeding up a little bit here. Probably not too much, I would hope, but they're I think they're probably ready to win. I know Trey's ready to win. And that kind of is a signal to to maybe just to Trey or maybe maybe ownership that, all right, we, we understand that it's time to start winning now. And Capella obviously helps them do that. What are the biggest questions that this season didn't answer for this group? I think um, we talked about Collins earlier a little bit, just the fact that they have to decide what to, what to do with him. And I'm actually, I think Collins is better than most people think that he is. And I think his jump shot coming around is helpful, but that's still a question that they have to answer as to what, whether they want to invest what could be a nine-figure contract in him next summer or even this summer if they chose to do an extension, which that would not be a great idea in my opinion. But if they wanted to do that, it wouldn't stun me if they pulled the trigger. But even the wing, I mean, they have these three guys Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, and DeAndre Hunter, and they like them all. They've all drafted. They've drafted them all in the last two years. Um, Herter had a nice rookie season and was okay again this year. But you know, is that your three-man tandem on the wing, or is it going to be? You know, they had this lottery pick this year. They have they have all this cap space. Do they want to try to make a big splash in a consolidation trade of some sort? They they do have a question about who is going to be 
sort of their who 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 are going to be their guys on the wing. And right well, now they have. I, I had a question for you, real quick. Uh, on that. Yeah. In your opinion, have any of those three guys shown enough to where you would pass up on a potential opportunity either in the draft or in free agency to kind of get someone, if not over the top of them, at least to add into that mix to compete with them? I would say no. I think they do need more. And I would say all three of those guys have room to grow. Um, this is just me reading the tea leaves, not necessarily fully sourced, but I think they would probably value Reddish as the number one guy right now. Um, they've they've loved Reddish since well before the draft. That was a very poorly kept secret, um, even during the season last year. And I know he was terrible at the outset of the year, but he started really flashing in the second half. And I don't want to overreact to that. I hope they don't want to overreact to that as well. But he did show what they kind of saw in him the last couple of months before the hiatus. But even with that said, I, I don't think that there's any reason to make any of these guys untouchable or make any of these guys sort of, um, you know, foolproof to not go over the top of them. You know, if they, the options on the free agent market, as you well know, are not exactly spectacular this year, but they could certainly use a guy like Joe Harris. They could, they could use a supporting piece who's a good, you know, maybe starting caliber player to add into the mix. And they honestly, I would be surprised if they weren't at least looking around to maybe do one of those big consolidation trades. You never know who's going to be available, but if you get a guy who who's more of an upper tier player, they do have some assets to go ahead and move and do one of those kind of, maybe not all in, but sort of push your chips to the middle kind of moves that would involve almost by default one or two of these young guys. So no one is established just yet. I think they have high hopes for all three of them, but if it's me, I would say none of them have proven enough to be, you know, definitely right in pen, you know, starters for the next five years. Is there anyone on the free agent market this year that you would say, all right, let's give a, a real contract to you know starter money four years you know 15 to 20 million dollars a year for four years is there anyone on the market this year that you say yes like this this is someone i would want to bring in at that type of a level for this team who uh honestly probably not when you when you talk about what i'm assuming you're meaning which is you know four years what 60 70 million dollars something like that for yeah starter yeah money. i mean it, or, or maybe i mean starter money could even end up being more than that being more than that yeah although, although who knows i mean there's there's not a lot of money around the league i mean you could in theory get a, a good deal on something like that uh but of course there's the, the issue that a, a lot of these guys are in their late 20s already if not even uh, later on than that right you have the combination of the guys who you might look at are a little bit older and also you know there are just not that many quality options right now you know obviously if you, if you take ad and brandon ingram off the table which i think is probably reasonable given those kind of situations there probably isn't another guy i mean you could look at maybe bogdanovich but do they match do the Kings match a reasonable deal? I would imagine they probably do. Um, I don't know. My, my favorite guy that I always talk about as the most logical option for me at a reasonable price is probably the guy I mentioned before, which is Joe Harris. But do you want to give Joe Harris four years and $60, 70000000 million? That sounds like a lot for Joe Harris. He's not that young either. And I like Joe Harris quite a bit. I think he'd help them and they need shooting in a desperate way. But to yeah, answer your question, yeah. by the way, for those who forgot, this is the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA at around 33%. And if you take out Trey Young, and you also consider how often Trey Young is setting guys up for open threes. You know that's what the the team percentage is probably like thirty two percent. I mean that's just uh, just atrocious, obviously. Yeah, if you want to be optimistic, you could point out the fact that the guys who actually matter, the core pieces, shot much better than the guys who didn't matter, the guys who won't be back. That's the one sort of if you want to try to find the rainbow in there is the fact yeah. that you know Herder and Hunter and Collins, those guys actually shot decently well, but everybody else on the roster was just 
just brutal and they just, they have to find more shooting, which is another reason why I bring up a guy like Harris or a guy like Davis Bertans, someone like that who could who could fill that role. But Bertans is, you know, not a, not a great fit on this roster, for instance, with Collins already on the team and Hunter maybe playing some four. So the short answer to your question about, you know, four year real contract is probably no, which is not not what you want to see for a team that has a lot of cap space. Yeah, but you also question with everybody shooting for the summer of 2021, are they going to do any better at that point? Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I think Bogdanovich, I would think about it. Like, he's a little bit better than expected defensively, I think, for, for a lot of people. And he would give them a little bit more driving, passing, decision-making than someone like Herter. And I, I might actually consider that, especially because the position that they're in, it's, out, it's okay to wait on a restricted free agent. And, yeah, they probably would end up getting matched, but it's not the end of the world where they are as a team if they don't get someone necessarily um Evan Fournier is that someone you might consider I, I he, thought about I, I thought about bringing him up uh, I mean it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world I, I'd rather have Bogdanovich out of those two guys um just yeah. for where they are um and I wouldn't be super opposed to either of them I, I do think that if you want to have any chance of the Kings not matching on Bogdanovich you probably have to pay a number that I wouldn't love to pay that's kind of what yeah. I'm thinking but there's not a head. huge opportunity cost for them either right at, at this point I mean they're not it's it's basically because I, I think what you really have to compare it to is paying him 20 million or anyone else that you're going to pay 20 million to in free agency as well and so it, it, he actually does start to look more palatable by comparison at that point um georgia georgia native uh contavious caldwell pope I wouldn't be opposed. I've always kind of liked him. I know you like yeah. him. Um, I think he would make some sense on this roster, especially defensively. He would help them. Um, I don't know what the market is for KCP. That, that's one of those guys I have no yeah. idea what he's going to get this summer. I really don't. Um, but if it's a reasonable number, sure, he, he actually makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, and then there's also just getting more at backup point guard as well. I also thought Jordan Clarkson might actually be a reasonable fit for this team just because they need one more guy who can create a shot off the bench and, and even could play with Trey Young a little bit. I mean, he's not going to help the defense, but uh, again, there's not a ton of people available on this uh, on this free agent market this year. It is not a fr- it's not a fun free agent class when you're looking ahead at a team that is still rebuilding and has $47 million in cap space. You look at the list and uh, no one gets you overwhelmingly excited. I probably get a question per day about free agency, and I just kind of look at it and say, uh, unless you think Brandon Ingram's gettable, I, I don't, I don't get, a, I don't, I, and he's not, by the way. Um, yeah, I wouldn't get very excited. Um, okay, that was that was a bit of a digression, but I think that's that's an important question for this team going forward. Um, what uh, is the long biggest long term need for this team? We've hit on it a, a little bit already, but if you're going to consider that Collins and Capella and Trey Young are going to stick around. What's the biggest thing that they need? I think they need, honestly, they probably need a legitimate number two creator that they don't have right now. If we're talking about, you know, contention at the highest levels, they they need someone that's not that's not currently on their roster, in my opinion. I guess it's possible that Reddish makes that kind of jump. I don't really see it. Uh, I do think Collins is an awesome offensive player and that, you know, he's kind of, he's clearly operating as a number two right now and did a really good job at that this season. But, you know, unless he has more room to grow, and I think he probably does to an extent as a creator type, not like obviously going to be your primary, but someone who could do a little bit more off the dribble, some some DHO stuff. We'll see what he can do. Um, but I think ultimately you're looking probably a little bit higher when it comes to another, maybe not primary, but a legitimate secondary creator that can run your offense or at least have your have, have that person be your focal point when Trey leaves the court um, in the draft. That's what I assume that they'd be looking for if they get lucky in this class. 
Um, spoiler alert: This class is not very good, so not a great, t- not not a great time to be looking at that. But um, you know, in addition to shooting, which is a clear need, and just defensive talent because you have to kind of box in Trey Young, there isn't this one glaring need. I guess that's that's, that's the one positive if you want to take a long term approach for this team is that if if it all works out, which it never does for any of these rebuilding teams, <laughs> you have. I mean, just to be honest, you have. Yeah, to- no, that, I mean that's a great point to make. Is that I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, we got this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy, and it's like, well. You just you got to be realistic. You know, half of these players on average are just you know not going to be anything more than backup. That's what's happening now, honestly, and that's a lot of the discussions that I have with fans and people that I think are smart fans. But they you start doing the, the starting lineup game with this team, and you know it always involves all of your young all of your young players. And it's I just try to caution people that you know one or two of these guys are probably not going to work out in the way that you want them to, or they're going to get traded, or they're going to get consolidated, or something like that. So you know they don't have a glaring need. At the same time, they probably are going to have to just improve somewhere, whether it be, you know, one of the wing spots is probably the most glaring spot that they could do that as. And that assumes, of course, that Collins and Capella ends up working, because if that doesn't work, you're looking at a trade probably of one of the two, and then you have another issue altogether. So there's a lot of uncertainty, honestly, with this roster, despite having all this young talent. Troy Young is the only guy that I you absolutely write it in pen, you know, two years from now to be on this team. And that kind of it's kind of scary, but it's also intriguing because they do have all these assets biggest positive surprise to you this season i assume it would be trey young's uh, development but uh is what would be your number two yeah that's certainly number one um i think i think honestly it would have to be john collins development um there's not an obvious number two here so this is just me picking something else that's a legitimate positive surprise um collins took real steps defensively he's still not perfect on on the end of the floor but it was i thought markedly better this season than he had been previously which gives you some hope for him and then if you just honestly I, I try not to do too much of this but if you look at just his numbers and his efficiency it's really kind of staggering what he was able to do offensively um and how much of that is believable or how much of that is winning basketball is up for interpretation but this is a guy who essentially averaged 20 and 10 on 60 plus percent true shooting and is one of the best not finishers 60 in the plus percent 65 percent yeah so and, and that's like a pretty high usage for a a, a big as well 23 percent usage so that's uh no he definitely is a, a a positive offensive player was there a big difference between his performance at center and power forward offensively um a little bit but at the same time i think it's almost i almost want to throw it out with him playing next to, next to a center this year because the centers that he was playing with um other than some alex len minutes were really just shaky i'll say that to be kind like playing a lot of minutes with damian jones or a lot of minutes with bruno fernando is not gonna tell you much about yeah how, how'd you enjoy jamie damian jones uh, I, ha- I have him on my notes to bring up if you ask me a certain question, but no, Damien... <laughs> Damien, uh, Damien was an adventure. I like Damien. I think he's a very nice kid. Uh, and offensive. That's that's what's kind of rough about it, having to kill him all the time. Yeah, and honestly, I will be. I'll be favorable. I think Damien is actually an NBA caliber role man offensively, but everything else is not is not there for Damien. But um, yeah, I think the one big development to go along with just the just the raw efficiency that Collins was able to post was that I actually do believe in his jumper at this point. I think it looks good. I think the results were good. I'm not sure it's gonna be forty percent from three like he was this season but it 
I'm pretty sold on him being a high 33-point shooter. And if that continues to be the case, that's a real development. And it kind of gives you more optimism about him playing the four. I've been on record for a long time that I think he probably is best suited at the five. But the way that they're developing him, there's at least more reason now than I would have had a year ago to think that he actually can work as a four long-term on both ends of the floor. The big question for me is is defensively, can he guard fours? Can he defend fours is the real question. But he developed as an an off-ball rim protector, more of a weak side guy. He was better at that role. Um, He struggles still in like primary actions defensively, but he really took a big jump. And the suspension really clouded a lot of things, both team building wise and results wise. And I guess it, you know, I'm not reporting this, but it could have soured. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm sure they were not happy with Sean Collins getting suspended. So that kind of throws a wrench in things, but just simply on the court, once he came back, I thought he was very good. And that was a big uh, positive for them. Yeah. You could see it. Maybe it'll be an interesting experiment with him and Capella defensively. Like, I'm not sure that it can't work i think yeah he, he's gonna struggle if you're he's got to guard someone are the, you gonna switch is he gonna play a conventional pick and roll defense for you not a lot of teams do that anymore you know maybe what you say is that you have a more aggressive style you know a lot of teams used to do that you know like the pacers back when it was david west and roy hibbert if they ran a pick and roll at the four they would hedge pretty hard with the four maybe you do that and then you say hey if you get the four on three at least you got capella back there to clean up the mess a little bit you know maybe that's your philosophy and then you could say uh, you know, you've got two potential rim protectors. You can get every single defensive rebound. You can be huge on the offensive glass uh, on the other end. And, you know, maybe it's something that could cause teams some problem especially in the eastern conference but then you're like okay what do you do when you go up against <laughs> the celtics and jason tatum is the four um you know is, i guess john college is going to guard like gordon hayward or something or you go up against pascal siakam who's probably going to be too big for uh, whoever you have at the three um you know maybe hunter can develop there. i mean that's the other problem too is you know is hunter really a three if you're really you know or maybe he's just not going to be a key part of it you know maybe that's what it's going to be but uh because it does seem like that it seems like they've kind of with this capella move now hunter is kind of shoehorned into playing the three they've certainly created some more questions about that by adding a center that they're clearly invested in for you know multiple years and who's obviously a good player hunter i mean on the bright side you could say pretty much all of their pieces other than trey young and Clint capella are multi-position guys who can shift around and be a little bit versatile on the other side if you th- if you think that deandre hunter is more of a four and that is uh, the jury is certainly out on that but if he becomes a guy that you like more at the four you're kind of in a bind because yeah, yes you can, i don't you, think his skill level is high enough to be the three that that's the big question and i think uh, his second year will be huge to uh, to evaluate he's a guy who i know he's an older rookie but um there's also something to be said for the fact that he's going from virginia to the nba is kind of a jump that people underrate how how different it is playing that very virginia style basketball um they were especially even defensively like i don't know hunter, hunter is a guy who is interesting in a number of ways but even if you don't love him at the three other lineups that you know their best lineup this season which is kind of ironic was all five young guys playing together that was the lineup that i mean it's a small sample but that lineup is actually very effective with hunter at the four and collins at the five Hmm. um it is still a small sample size, but if you look at their lineup data, that was by far their best lineup this season. So there's something to be said for that too, but then you also just invested in Capella. So I guess if you want to be optimistic, you could you could talk yourself into a scenario in a playoff series where you're playing 48 minutes with either Capella or Collins at center. You stagger those guys, you have Hunter play some four. You know, you can sort of see how it might come together, but at the same time, if you think Hunter is a four, it does get a little bit dicey as to either he's not part of your core or, you know, 
it, it just kind of maybe you're shoehorning him in like you said to the three and obviously they, they paid so much for him that having that be the result would not be the greatest look in the world if he's sort if he's sort of a, a, a bit player for you all right if a 10 defensively is you know Andre Guadalla or something you know just like the the best wing defender and you know a five is just your average guy who's not going to get totally steamrolled on the wing uh you know out of on a 10 point scale where is his defense at right now is he really like anywhere close to being the lockdown guy that being drafted number four overall would indicate no he's not at least based on his rookie season I think you know the 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 physical measurables and stuff that you would want to see you know he's six eight with a seven two wingspan He's strong. He's currently better on the ball than off the ball, which was which was also the case in college. Um, I'm not ready to give up on him as a high level, you know, eight or nine on that scale. Eventually, that's in play. I would not bank on that anymore. But he's certainly not there yet. He's somewhere in the middle. Like he's passable. I thought he was okay on defense this year. Probably better than your average rookie on defense. But that's not going to move the needle for you. And in fact, I, I thought Reddish was pretty clearly better than Hunter defensively this season. Huh. And Reddish was actually, um, you know, I almost said that as my bright spot earlier when I talked when I talked about Collins Reddish's defense I was high on it coming into college coming into the NBA out of college but he was very good defensively this season um both I would say for a rookie he was good early and then like just objectively in the second half he was just I thought he was an above average wing defender by the end of the year um and that's you know he's still we'll see it's it's one year of sample size but uh it is kind of it's both telling on Hunter and also telling on Reddish that Reddish is better than Hunter right now defensively because it's not really a shot at Hunter it's more of an an endorsement of reddish but uh i think the hawks will probably agree with me too on this by, by the end of the year especially on smaller wings um reddish was the better option you could convince me that hunter against a guy like lebron or Kawhi, that's those big physical guys that he was drafted to defend maybe he's still better but against like your, your average you know shooting guard size player i would i would have rather had reddish this year which is which i think is pretty interesting yeah no that that is fascinating um yeah and i mean i think maybe you can say if hunter uh, uh, you know you just you don't want to get caught up now I mean, he's on the team. He can't cry over spilled milk that he got drafted <laughs> number four. But if you're thinking about what role he can play, you know, maybe he does come in off the bench against a lot of teams. But then if you got to go up against LeBron or Kawhi or Pascal Siakam, maybe you just say, all right, we're going to, he's got the size. We'll throw him in there. He can just not get totally overwhelmed physically. But if we don't have that type of a matchup, then may, maybe his role gets minimized because as you mentioned, you know, he, he's uh, limited as uh, an off ball guy as of now all right let's uh let's float through some, some of the rest of these questions here i know we've gone on a lot of tangents so uh biggest disappointment to you this season it's interesting i think the easy answer is just the overall roster construction which we talked about before just the way that it was so foreseeable um colin's suspension would be on the list because i'm not sure they would have really contended for the eighth spot but as soon as that happened it was over um because yeah. they were they were so utterly ghastly during that time that he missed um and it might have happened to a certain extent anyway but they just could not afford that which is even more ironic because they they signed Jabari Parker um, in part to give them depth at the four and Nate that, that didn't go very well I gotta be honest with you <laughs> Um, I, I will say, other than that, you know, it's tough to say disappointment about the guys like Parker and Evan Turner and Damian Jones and Bruno Fernando, but that's kind of yeah. what sunk them. So, or, or or Alan Crabb too. I mean, like I thought at least Crabb he was know, bad. If, if he could have stayed, <laughs> and even and even when he was healthy, he just he like couldn't make a shot. I mean, it's like like yeah, for and for Vince Carter to be as bad as he was, I mean, yeah, I think that was kind of an underappreciated story that the rest of these vets were just so bad. I mean, one of them could have given them something, right? I, I was almost going to say that I think it would have been, you know, it's, it's tough to call it a disappointment, but having every single one of those 
additions or veterans be bad is kind of remarkable that none of them were even okay. I mean, the only guy that you could say that was not a, not, not a part of the core that actually played decently was Alex Len, and they traded him. Um, and I understand why, um, but he was the only guy that I would say outside of their core pieces that actually played reasonably well this season. Every other guy they either acquired or signed or whatever they had to do to get those guys there, none, none of them worked out, which is kind of amazing. Um, team MVP, that's obvious that's Trey Young. We skipped that one. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I, I do think um, if you want to get really weird and say if Collins doesn't get suspended, you could have argued for him to be like kind of close, but still no. <laughs> uh, rotation player who struggled the most. Ooh, um, it was definitely Cam Reddish until the end of December. Cam Reddish was very bad offensively, like to the point where it was a punchline nationally how bad he was for the first couple of months of the season. Um, but aside from that, like, and from, from that point forward, there isn't like a clear answer. Uh, I don't know. Take your pick of Alan Crabb, Vince Carter, Evan Turner, and Damian Jones. Any of those guys. Dam- I was going to say Damian. This is what I alluded to earlier. Damian Jones is probably the right answer because he played the most of these guys and he was yeah. so damaging. I mean, I don't want to pile on, but the numbers with him on versus off are telling. He, they were just, they could not defend at all with Damian Jones on the court. And uh, I felt bad about that, but uh, he's probably the the right answer for this yeah negative 14 net rating uh 8.3 points per 100 possessions worse with him on the floor and that was with him actually starting a, a reasonable number of games they had this weird thing where they just like weren't starting alex len for some reason and they would start damian jones instead which uh i, I was not in favor um i, I agree <laughs> so uh, anywhere else uh i mean we talked so about the young players but give me uh, let's just run through them all really quickly uh Give a letter grade for development for all the teams young players start with Trey Young. A maybe A plus is one of those two based on what he did from year one to year two. I mean you could you could quibble with the with the defense. That's the big question. And I think if you want to be favorable, he was slightly better defensively in year two than year one. He's still yeah. very bad, but uh, I'll still say A because he was the, the jump that he made was just ludicrous. So A. DeAndre Hunter. Uh, C, I would say. I think he's good. He's gotten a little bit, a little bit more heat than I would have given him because I, I think I just kind of saw this coming more than most people did. He got, like I said before, the shine of being a top five pick was um, gonna play into how he was gonna be evaluated. But I think objectively, he was about what I thought he was gonna be as a rookie, maybe a little bit worse. So I'll say, uh, I'll say a C. Yeah, I think you and I were just coming at it for lower expectations than him. But do you think he got visibly better as the season went along? I do. I think it wasn't. It wasn't in the way that Reddish did, like that was so noticeable, but just the little things, I think Hunter's off-ball defense improved. I think he got more comfortable just letting it fly offensively as a shooter as the season went along. And he had some, he had some notable games. I think there was one in my mind where he was he was asked to guard James Harden um, early in the season and got absolutely decimated. And then the second time, he actually was competitive. And I thought, it's that's just a one-off, but that's in my head for some reason as like evidence that he was better. But I, I think he was, it wasn't just this massive jump, but you, you could see the signs. Kevin Herter. Hmm. I will say C plus. I think he stalled a little bit from year one to year two. The same things that he needs to work on from year one, he still needs to work on, which is not what you want. Um, just getting to the, getting to the line, getting to the rim and finishing effectively. And I think people that don't watch the Hawks think of Kevin Herter as like this Kyle Korver type, just pure shooter. And he's, I mean, he is a, he is a very good shooter, but he has a lot more to his game than that. Um, ideally, and the Hawks believe in it, but he's got to be more confident, more sort of just physically stronger too in the future to get to the rim. And then defensively, he was probably a little bit better, but still a guy that you can probably attack. He's not terrible, terrible, but he, he has to get stronger and he didn't really do that from year one to year two. Yeah. And he's a, he's a tough fit with, uh, with Trey defensively. 
Ilya, of course. Um, Cam Reddish, I'm guessing you'll probably be pretty high at it, on him given how, where he started the year and where he ended it. Yeah, I, I would probably say like B+. Plus. I mean, and yeah. the difference between between October and February for Cam Reddish is astronomical. And part of that's that he was so bad early. And, you know, it's worth pointing out that Reddish basically missed the whole summer because he had this core muscle injury that he suffered during the pre-draft process. And that set yeah. him back a lot. I think that was notable as to yeah. why. And, and that was, I think actually my recollection was they're saying that that affected him even going back to Duke. Yeah, they said they said that. I mean, there's there's different schools of thought on how much that affected him in college because there was sort of a re-injury during the process and he kind of got shut down. Mm. But even regardless, even, even if it was just this uh, just the summer, him missing the summer, he got off this, and then they threw they threw in the deep end. And I get why because of what we said before, the rotation options were not plentiful. But the fact that he was playing you know 28 minutes a game out of the gate and was just clearly not ready to do that put him in a tough spot. But offensively, he improved so much defensively. Like I said before, he was very good throughout the season and got better during the season. So yeah, I mean, development during the season, probably, you know, a minus even like he, he got a lot better from start to finish. All right, last member of the young core, uh, John Collins. Ooh, this is a tough one because 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 of the suspension. Uh, he he got a lot better. He was much better in year three than he was previously, especially defensively. And we talked about you know his his efficiency offensively was just pretty darn impressive. It's almost I think been a pre- I, I certainly think it's been underappreciated nationally because I think people kind of know what John Collins is. He's this guy who puts up numbers, but he was so efficient and so effective around the rim, especially. He's one of the best. I don't I, I want to I want to know how you feel about this. I think he's one of the best pick and roll. You know dive men slash finishers in the whole league that that's how good he i think he is at that and he's just so effective and his touch is so good around the rim absolutely and then when you throw in that he also has the option to pop now with his three-point yep. shooting when uh, i like i like guys who can either pop or roll to the rim that that's always uh, nice to have that optionality especially when with trey young you're gonna see a, a lot of times teams changing up their pick and roll coverage or you know really blitzing him at, at the point of attack and so to, to have it where all right you got blitz and you john collins can just pop out and shoot to three when they do that that's uh that could be very useful i totally agree and i i do buy the jump shot so you know the suspension makes it tough maybe you got to give him like like a letter grade lower because he gets suspended and that was on him um yeah. so something like c plus but would have been b plus if not for the suspension who do you think will still be a key player on this team in two years so that's at the start after the off season that what everyone expects to be a seminal off season in 2021 start of the 21 22 season who is still a key player on this group i will say the only guy that i absolutely absolutely go to the mat for is Trey Young. That's very obvious. Um, I would probably put reddish next on the list and that's not again that's not me breaking news specifically but I, I think they just they've loved him for so long they were really effusive in their praise of him um and he made the jumps that he made now if, if he stalls out in year two then th- i won't i still won't i still i still wouldn't write him in, in pen but he'd be the next guy i'd list just because I, I, obviously collins is a lot better than reddish right now but be, but because collins is going to be a free agent but uh that summer and because of the extension negotiations and the fit stuff with capella it gives me more pause on Collins than it does with some of the other guys, even though he's clearly the second best player on the team right now. Um, Other than that, I think I honestly think that Hunter and Herder are just kind of in the same tier. It wouldn't surprise me if any of those guys got moved just because of what I said before. Like they, they might try to do a consolidation trade. If they if a star becomes available, the Hawks have the ability to go out and get that kind of guy. I'm not sure that's going to happen because every team wants to be able to do that. But given where they are in their sort of cycle, they'd be interested in that almost certainly. So and if that happens, everyone's on the table except Trey Young. So I'll say Trey followed by Reddish, and honestly, it's kind of a mixed bag after that, which is not a, not, not a sexy answer, but it really is kind of just telling how, as to how little confidence I have that any single one of them will still be here. Yeah, but that's, a, you know, they're in a decent position because 
they've got some guys who can hit and realistically like we we're saying you know maybe it's only one or two of those guys but uh they at least have some options they're not relying on, on any one player outside of, of trey young necessarily uh all right last question here one word to describe oh actually no i'm sorry i, I skipped one this Uh-oh. is a good one uh do you feel better or worse about this team's long-term future now than before the season i would say better but not by a significant amount and the only honestly the only reason i'm saying better or at least the main reason i'm saying better is the is the leap that trey young made which we which we talked about um yeah but having your having the guy that the organization firmly believes and now has evidence to back this up that is their is their engine moving forward and he's now done what he was able to do this season offensively for a full season or at least most of the season um that makes you feel better about everything because that's the most important part of any rebuild is just getting the guy um and i think collins is better this season too which helps uh you know the the wings not blowing you away is a little bit uh concerning but i I still think that they're probably in a better spot there's a little bit more certainty with their assets than there was uh this time last year so i'll say uh, i'll say better but not nothing that was uh glaring besides trey yeah do you have more or less confidence in travis schlank now than you do uh probably a little bit less uh probably you know just because i thought the hunter trade was kind of baffling and i thought this summer even the free agency stuff was kind of baffling but then of course he, he made what i thought was a really good move i think his second most high profile move the hunter trade was the biggest one but the second biggest move they made was the trade with the nets that i thought was a good trade so it's this it's this mixed bag we talked about before but i'll say a little bit worse just because i was truly baffled by the jabari parker signing and i was truly baffled by the hunter trade so those two things combining together outweigh the what i thought was a positive move in the trade with nets no I, like when danny and i were going through earlier this uh last week as you listen to this now i guess uh and picking the hawks best and worst moves i mean it was incredible like how many just completely inexplicable moves they had like the trade for dwight howard taking on jeremy lynn for nothing which we've kind of forgotten about just taking on 12 million of jeremy lynn like for no reason and then uh, to, just to have a backup point guard i guess for last year and then this year they do the exact opposite and just don't even have a backup point guard <laughs> <laughs> like, like they just yo-yoed completely between like overpaying for a backup point guard in, in a season that wasn't going to matter and then when the season matters more the next year they don't get a backup point guard at all but then i thought uh in season it looked pretty good like teague for crab was i mean that was good yep. a, a good move it was uh, just to do that straight up and then i thought the trade deadline with capella and uh get bringing back Devin, i thought those were solid moves also i i agree I, it's 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 kind of been baffling just to see these moves that i immediately just can't understand like the Lynn one is uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's one that I, I found out when we were in Vegas and I, I was just kind of staring at my phone like I can't be reading that right can I like they're just going to take on Jeremy Lynn <laughs> I, I don't get it so there's there's been a few of those during the Schlenk era but then you know he he, find, he finds John Collins at 19 he finds Kevin Herter at 19 uh, I think Cam Reddish at 10 is going to look pretty good in the future um, there's lots of good scouting moves that he's made there's a couple good process moves that he's made and there's also a couple moves that will make you shake your head so it's this grab bag um, and I'm not really sure what to make of it. Honestly, we need more. I think we probably still need more evidence to kind of make a firm decision. But, you know, I would say a little bit shakier just because of there's just so there's more evidence now of, of these moves that don't make sense that I just wonder kind of what the thinking is sometimes. So that uncertainty leads me to uh, a, low, a little bit lower of feeling. All right. Last question here. And I'd agree with you, by the way. I feel a little bit better about the long term future just because Trey Young looks like he, he's yep. so good. Um, and, and we didn't know that that was going to be the case. So, I mean, when you have a star like that, the rest of the stuff doesn't 
matter as much. I mean, now we could talk at some future time, I'm sure, about what Trey Young is really going to be <laughs> when you get into the playoffs uh, you know, yep. and what some of his weaknesses might be there. Um, and, you know, is he really a guy who can get you into the second round of the playoffs and beyond? But, you know, th- that's a problem for the future. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy who's on track to be a top 15 player in the NBA. And that's, you know, to have that kind of a player is a lot better than not having it. So um, give me one word to describe this team's season. I struggle with this. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, it is one word. I looked this up. Hit or miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way to, way to take advantage of the hyphen. The, hy- the hyphen. I made sure this was legal. I, went, I even went to the dictionary. I did some real research for this, night. Hit or miss is my answer. <laughs> I don't love any single word because there's just so many layers to what happened this season, but that kind of encapsulates yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's a really good one. I was actually was trying to think of a word that would encapsulate that same concept of just, all right, Trey Young was really good. The rest of it was not so good. And, you know, that's, uh, you're going to do better than I am. So that, that was, that was. <laughs> That was fantastic. Thank God for the hyphen. Uh, I, 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 I researched. I, I promise I, I did prep for this podcast. I wanted to be uh, <laughs> as, as prepared as possible. All right. Well, where can people keep up with your Atlanta Hawks work before we go here? I am the host of the Locked on Hawks podcast on a network that you are also working on over the Hollinger and Duncan show. And then I also am the, uh, I guess, the editor-in-chief, or however you want to say that, for Peachtree Hoops, the SB Nation site for the Hawks. Uh, we try to be as uh, non-fan-driven uh, as possible. I know some of those sites are very fan driven. I am not one of those people. So we try to give you some unbiased Hawk stuff. And I'm also writing at Dime over at Uprock Sports on some uh, national NBA stuff. So check me out there. Yeah. No, Peachtree Hoops is definitely uh, one of the best uh, local coverage sites. So I, I encourage you all to check that out uh, whenever uh, something interesting happens with the Hawks, even if you are not a, a Hawks fan. So thanks again, Brad. We really appreciate it. And uh, Danny and I will be back on Monday, continuing our series of the listener pod topic bracket we'll uh, we'll let you know what that's going to be check out my twitter at nate duncan mba for that talk to y'all next time